joining us this morning by way of uh, radio, WSTL Live, or by streaming. We're glad that you're with us this morning before we get into the Word. Uh, just two things. I, I don't know whether it's just me, but there seems to be a sleepiness in here. Am I the only one? That, maybe it's losing the hours sleep. Maybe it's, hard, not, maybe it's not a spiritual thing at all. It's just I didn't get as much sleep last night. I, I, but I sense that there's a spiritual opposition to what's going to be shared this morning. And um, so we're going to pray over the Word in, in just a minute. Uh, and there was a second thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a... Uh, you're wondering why i got a chair up here, and I'm not going to hopefully bounce around as much as I normally do. Uh, I had a little accident this week. I slipped on some wet floor uh, where I didn't see some water, and uh, I discovered that your body's not designed to do that, <laughs> especially at 71 years of age. And um, my knee, I think, hyperextended a little bit, so I'm having to w- walk a little carefully on it and sit down. So I probably won't use the chair, but I got it up here because my wife wants me to sit on it, and I need to. I need to keep it, take it easy and take care of it, praise God. You need to take care of our bodies, and you don't worship them, but we take care of them because it's the only one you get, and it's what gets you through this life, and we need it to, in order to get around and to do God's will. So let's, let's pray, and, um, and we'll get into God's Word today. Praise the Lord. Father, we come to you. Thank you for this wonderful time of worship that we've had and of singing praise to you and opening our heart to you, Father. For indeed we do owe you worship, Father, because you've loved us beyond everything we've ever imagined. And Father, our hearts belong to you and you belong to us and what you've done for us is amazing. And it will take all of eternity for us to truly understand and grasp what you've done for us in Christ and to praise you and thank you for it. But we've come this morning to give to you what we could give to you this morning And we thank you and trust that you've received it. And Father, if there's a sleepiness in here right now, we take authority over it in the name of Jesus. We stand against every spirit who would try to oppose the word of God today so that the people cannot hear and the word cannot come forth with all the power and anointing with which you have on it. And so, Father, we thank you today. We take authority over those spirits and declare that whatever God wants to do and say in this place will be done freely and openly in Jesus' name, that every heart is open, every ear is open to hear and to receive, every eye is open to see, and every heart is open to receive what the Spirit would say to us today in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we set our eyes on you, and we let go of everything that would be of care and concern to us this morning, that we may have this intimate time with you over your word, and we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I just had this image. Um, one of the many things that my wife did so well as a mother in our household was to make sure that we had dinner together. In a busy lifestyle today, that's, a, that's becoming a lost practice. But she was very diligent to do that even when I practiced law and, and would be coming home sometimes at 6 or 7 o'clock at night. She'd have the kids do everything, but we would sit down, and sometimes we couldn't, but we'd sit down together. And what I saw today is that this is what, and, and it pleased us as parents to be able to sit down because in, in those times we had family conversations and our kids would cut up together and, you know, cut up together and, and but, but there were times of impartation, times of just being together and, and, and making ourselves aware that we are a family. And so even now when, when our families, two of our family, uh, two of our sons are, are, are spread out. Um, the rest of our families here around us now, and we're thank- very thankful for that. Uh, there's still a sense of family. There's still a sense of family. And the reason I say that is because while I was praying, I suddenly had this image that in God's eyes, that's what we're doing here today. His family has come to share God's meal together today. 
to eat or partake of God's Word together today and enjoy as He does this that He wants to impart as a Father to us and, and, and experience together this sense of family. And I appreciate that wonderful testimony because it, it, that's what she's sensing is that sense of family today. And so that's why we're here. We're not just... A, the church is not a building. It's not a, an assembly of people together. This is literally the body of Christ, the family of God. Ephesians 3.15 says, Father, I buy my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven every family in heaven and earth is named. So we are the family of God if you've been born into His family. So we better get into the Word of God or I'll start going in all kinds of other directions. Um, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. It was, it's in the New Testament, John. In fact, it's right at the beginning of the New Testament. There's something about what God wants to do today. I'm just... Let's pick up in these scriptures and then we'll get into, again, the subject we're talking about. Jesus has been teaching. His disciples came to him at the beginning of this chapter and said, you know, you've talked about the end coming. What, what are the signs? How are we going to know? What's going to happen? What's going to happen at the end of the age? And that's what Jesus has been talking about. But he's not been talking about it from the point of view of giving them in, in, in details. He's been talking about it from the point of view of being ready and recognizing the signs of the time. And because he says, he says in verse 36, we're not going to go back there, but we looked at this before, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but only my Father. Elsewhere, I think it's in Mark's version, he says, I don't, even I don't know. And so he's talking about being ready. So we're going to start in verse 42. Watch, therefore, because you don't know when it is. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So we're in a series called, Are You Ready? And this is what God's put on my heart to, to call us. I believe the Spirit of God is calling us and preparing us, because He may well be coming soon. And the question is, are you ready? And we have to go over this. We have to do this periodically because we are all living in a life that we're used to where we're born at a certain age. We don't know what age we're going to die, but there's an age where we're going to die. And we don't know when that is, but we live one day after another. And, and that, that builds in us this false sense of it. it's always going to be like that. And some of the examples that Jesus uses in these parables is exactly that. People go out and do their daily routine. They buy and they sell. They live. They marry. They have children. They go about their everyday routine, assuming it's always going to be like that. And what he's trying to tell us is, no, it's not. And the second thing is, what we're living in now, what we call life, is not really life at all compared to what is to come. This is a temporary, this is a temporary place, but there is an eternity. When this life ends, we're going to pass into an eternity. And we spent one whole Sunday several times ago talking about what this eternity means. It is, it is forever. That's hard to wrap our minds around. It's also, it's also, and there's also two play, one of two places you can go. You can't stay here. At a, at a friend of mine, we used to know, a long time ago, I and mean, Pastor Sam may have said the same thing here. Some, you know, you don't have to go. You can't. Go, you don't have to go home if you don't want, but you can't stay here. <laughs> well, I've got news for you. Maybe that'd be a good title for a sermon. You can't stay here. 
<laughs> I don't care whether you don't like it. I don't care whether we don't. When we don't. I don't care whether we're friends. Whatever, whatever our reaction is, doesn't matter. You can't stay here. We're going to leave here at some point. But you can do something about it is where you're going to go. And we talked about that last week. So the most important thing about being ready is to be ready about knowing for certain where you're going to go when you leave. Because you are going to leave here, either when, because Jesus comes back or your physical body is going to die and your spirit and your soul are going to leave here and they're either going to go up or they're going to go down. And you get to choose which one of those two places. And we talked at the end last week, we went into Matthew 7, some of the most important scriptures, I believe, at least for me they are, where Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, just because you call me Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So it's not what you call him, it's what you do, what you believe. And he said, it's those that do the will of my Father. You can do many great things for me. He says, you know, some will say I cast out demons. Some I said these miracles. He said, but I will say to you, depart from me. Listen to carefully because you'll see this later today. I never knew you who practice lawlessness. Do your own thing. So there are people out there doing things in the name of the Lord, doing things for him, but not doing what he wants them to do. In other words, their life is not submitted unto Him. They're, in their heart, they're not will, their desire is not to do the will of the Father. And, and what we do in that case is we, we do good things and we try to incorporate God into those things, into what we're doing, instead of incorporating ourselves into what God's doing. Enormous difference. Enormous difference. And then we talked about what does the Bible say you have to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. There has to be a change that takes place on the inside of you. It's an instant change that is then developed and lived out over the rest of your life. In some people, there's a more dramatic change than others, but there ought to be some change. And then we talked about, we went into Romans 10, and we talked about that you must believe in your heart. And that becomes important to what we're going to talk about today. But believing is in your heart, not your head. And I believe, unfortunately, there are many people that have come forward in church, not just here, but in church, and they've given a mental belief. Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe these things with my head. But see, what you believe with your head won't change what you do. It's what you do with your heart that changes it. The change has to be in your heart. And so if you've not done that, we're going to give you a chance to do that before the end of this day. So uh, that, that's kind of what we've talked about. I've watered it down a little bit. So, so having said this, now we're going to go to chapter 25. Now we're going to talk to people that have, have, have given their life to Christ and have meant it. But there's still a preparation that we have to do. Chapter 25. Then the kingdom of God shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps. This is the classic parable on being ready. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. You have to understand that in that day, their practice was when they had a wedding, it isn't like we do today, you know, you show up at... at, at uh, Quarter of eleven for the eleven o'clock wedding. You know, come in the back to hello people. Sit in the bride's groom or the or the or the, or the who's the other party? Groom. Thank you. It's been a while, <laughs> and, and and of course we can't do that here because we have two aisles and a middle. Anyway, anyway. So um, so, but it, but it was it was days of preparation, and the and the and the and the bride would 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 get ready and wait for the groom to come for her and call for her. And so that's the picture here. The, 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 the bridegroom is waiting to come, and the, 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 these, are, these are the assistants for the, for the bride. And they're waiting for the wedding to start. Verse 2, Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. 
Those who were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slept and slumbered, kind of where the church is today. The idea of that is they fell asleep because if they knew he was coming at any moment, they would have stayed awake. But here's the idea again. Because they did not know when he was coming, they kind of lost their focus and began to shift back shift back into, well, we don't know he's not come yesterday, yes, he's not come today, he didn't come yesterday, so I can go to sleep for a little while, and because when he comes, I, you know, then I'll wake up. And the problem is, while they were sleeping, they, they, the foolish ones could have used that time, I never taught of this before, the foolish ones could have used that time they were sleeping to get ready. But instead, they chose to sleep. They chose to rest. They chose to just veg out with what their life was like. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Verse 4, verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6. At midnight, a cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom is coming. That's the cry. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose. They woke up, trimmed their lamps. They got it prepared. In verse 8, the foolish said to the wise... Give us some oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you, but rather go to those who sell and buy it for yourselves. Now here's, I don't want to get caught in this, but people make a mistake sometimes as we try to bring human reasoning into Jesus' parables. Because you can read that and say, Well, that's very unloving of them. I thought we're supposed to love and share. That's not what this parable is about. This parable is simply about getting ready. Making sure you're ready. So the practical thing is those, and there, there could be a lesson in this, sometimes there's things you have and you've gotten ready that other people who aren't ready, they want to live off of what you've done. Ooh, we, we could go there. They want to live off of your faith. So when something goes wrong, instead of developing their own faith, they call people who have developed their faith and want to draw off of them. I heard a long time ago a statement that I mentioned this to some pastors this, this week. You know, talking about different conferences you can go to and things like that. And I heard a pastor a long time ago, after, actually at Lafayette, say, you know, what happens in these meetings is you get pastors pay all kinds of money to go sit and listen to somebody who spent all, times of t- all kinds of time praying to hear what God has to say so they can hear what God said through somebody else who spent the time praying because they were too lazy to pray. See, God will show you yourself. God doesn't want to have a relationship with you through someone else. Now, as we grow and mature, we need other people around us to support us. But there's some points God wants you to grow up on yourself. Maybe some of you have been standing in faith for something and, and it's not happening. And you wonder why, because you're trying to get other people around you. You're trying to draw on other people's faith instead of developing your own faith. And there'll come a time when God won't use other people He won't allow other people's prayers for you to work because God wants you to develop your faith and He wants you to ask the question, how come this isn't working anymore? Because God wants you to... Because that's where the intimacy comes. I'm getting ahead of myself. That was free. I wasn't planning on that one. Okay. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding... And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, here it is again, I don't know you. Watch therefore. What's the, what's the, the message of this parable? Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the sun is coming. Now there's a lot of debate here, because clearly what makes one group ready and the other group not ready is that the one group had oil sufficient to keep the flame burning, and the other group didn't have oil sufficient to keep the flame burning. And there's a lot of debate out there among theologians and in different concordances, and I've heard all kinds of message about what the oil is. And, and one of the best is it's the Holy Spirit, because he's often the symbol of the Holy Spirit is oil. But what it is, what it has to be, whatever else is intended by the Spirit of God, whatever it is, it's what's necessary to keep the flame burning. So the point isn't so much the oil, the point is that they were keeping the flame burning. The flame gave them light so that they could see the way to the bridegroom. The flame was what the bridegroom needed in order to go into the wedding. That's what their job was, was to have that flame burning. Didn't Jesus say that the church is to be the light of the world? The light of the world? So whatever this oil is, represents, it's whatever's necessary to keep that flame burning. And I'm going to talk to you what I believe part of it is. Whatever it amounts to, this is what it all comes down to based on what the Word of God tells us. Now notice the difference here. Jesus calls one of these groups wise and the other foolish. The wise were the ones that were prepared, were ready. The foolish were the ones that were not ready. They both had the same amount of time. And the foolish wasted their time and the wise used it wisely. So what is this oil? What is this? And again, there are other theories out there, but all of those theories that I've read essentially come down to the essence of what we're talking about. Because it's nice to talk about theories, it's nice to talk about symbols, but what does it mean in my life? What does it mean for me? What do I have to do to be ready? What's the most important thing to be ready? And what we're going to talk about this morning, I believe everything else has to come off of. We get so busy trying to do... All of you that are here this morning, I'm confident, are here because you love the Lord and you want to do what's right in His sight and you want to please Him and you want to you go to heaven, okay? So the rest of them that aren't here, I don't know about them, but you're here. That's a good place to say amen. Okay, good. I just, I'm, I'm saying something on your side this morning. All right. So let's look at, what, let's look at what's important to God. Because man has come with all kinds of things of what man thinks is important to God. I'll say that over here. We have our own ideas and we get a lot of help from preachers and teachers and books of what we think is important to God. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. God tells us what's important to Him. The challenge with it, it's so simple, our mind thinks, oh, it can't be that simple. It's got to be more than that. So we build big buildings, we have fancy dress, we do all kinds of fancy, elaborate things, pour all kinds of money into programs, do all kinds of things, many of which is very good, but it's not what God's asked for. Remember what Jesus said 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what my Father wants? You do great things for me, but I don't know you. Because you practice lawlessness, you do what you think's right, not what he said is right. This is going to become very important in the day and age that you and I live in. This is part of what the Lord hammered home to me when we were at this minister's conference a couple of weeks ago. And I've known it, I've seen it, but, but for the, spoke to me for the church. We have to get back to what God says. Well, I should have gotten a better amen than that. There's many voices out in the world, and I'm talking about in the Christian world, that have adopted the attitudes of the world. And it's not seeping into the church, it's rushing into the church. And the only way, the only way we can tell truth from error is this word. Excuse me, Charles, I know you'll have to edit that. <laughs> Charles does the editing of the radio program, and when I do loud noises, you don't realize that... How, anyway, that's... We have to get back to God's Word, what God says about it. And if we'll stand on God's Word, the world may hate you, but God's there with you. So what does God say? It's really so very simple. Let's go to Matthew 22. Everybody okay so far? Well, good. Here's a story we're going to pick up in verse 34. And Jesus has been in this debate and discussions, it wasn't much of a debate, with the Pharisees. Because the Sadducees uh, and the Pharisees have this big argument about the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in an afterlife. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. You can keep that straight because that's why they were sad, you see because that's an old joke, but it's a way I keep it in mind, who's who. Because they believed in no supernatural. And there's a large segment of the church today, or what calls themselves the church, that does not believe in supernatural. And they're Sadducee. But the Pharisees did, but there was this debate going on. Verse 34. And Jesus had, had silenced with something he said, the, 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 the Sadducees and the Pharisees were all excited about that. That's what verse 34 says. But when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now they're going to listen to him. He's on our side. Then one of them, a lawyer, we won't go there, <laughs> asked him a question, testing him. So he's not looking for truth. He's trying to test him. And he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now we're talking about what does God want? What does God require of us? And that's what the commandments are. What's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered and said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, the old, whole, entire Old Testament boils down to two statements. Two things God asks, requires of us. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul, and you love your neighbor 
as yourself. In Romans 13, Paul says that, the, the, that if, you, if you love one another, you fulfill the law. And they, they had taken the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and several other commandments and built them into 600, and I think it's 613 laws or rules you had to keep about how you had to wash your cup, what you could eat, when you could drink it, all kinds of physical details of what you could and couldn't do, but they didn't deal with the heart. So you could have done all those things right, and there are churches like this today. They dress what they think the right way is. They do everything the right way, but their heart stinks. Full of envy and greed, envy and greed. And, and malice and all kinds of attitudes of the heart. But outwardly, they look great. They're Pharisees. They're Pharisees. And a Pharisee is somebody whose confidence is in what they do outwardly, but don't care about what's going on in the inside, because what I do outwardly is what I, how I appear to other people, and they're not concerned with how they appear to God, because God looks on the inside much more than on the outside, and we'll see that in, in a minute. So what does Jesus say? That the greatest thing that God requires of us is to love Him with all our heart. Is that simple? Not with our head. Not even with our actions. To love Him with all our heart. Because if you love Him with all your heart, your actions will begin to line up. When you love someone with all your heart, you want to do what pleases them, not so they'll do good things back for you, because you love them. And you want to see them blessed. You want to see them pleased. You want to see, oh, here it goes. You want to see what they want done more than what you want done. Isn't that what Jesus said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the will of my Father? In John's Gospel, later on, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, the world's going to know that I love my Father because I did what He said. I didn't do it because I had to. I did it because I love Him. In the Old Testament, they did it because they had to. In the New Testament, God wants His children to do it because they love Him. There's no greater blessing to a father than to see your children obey you and do what you believe in because they love you not because they're afraid of what you're going to do to them. And this is what Jesus is saying here. This is so simple, it's easy to get, easy to miss. It's easy to get too. <laughs> what God requires above everything else is that we love Him with all of our heart. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's all about the heart. That's the title of today's message. It's all about the heart. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is all about the heart. So if you want to know what to do, if you're confused, go back to your heart. If your heart's right towards Him, then even if you make mistakes, love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, now, let's go to Matthew 15. So we're talking about our heart, the condition of our heart. And we could go in so many directions with this, and we may eventually. Matthew 15, starting in verse 7. Well, I'm going to go back. I know that's what I told them. Uh, I'm going to give you a little background. Jesus is here having another discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and they ask him, you know, why do your disciples 
break the tradition? Why do your disciples transgress, transgress the tradition of the elders? Because they don't wash their hands when they eat. He's not saying that they don't use, you know, hand lotion or that they don't, you know. He's not talking about hygiene. He's talking about rituals that they had for washing the cup a certain way. And the disciples just drank out of their cup. And I assume they washed their hands, but not the way, not ceremonially, ceremonially washed their hands. That's what he's talking about. And then he uses this example of what they're doing. He says, because you, you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition. God commanded you to honor your father and mother and let him put, and says, he who curses father and mother let him be put to death. So one of the commandments is to honor your father and mother. And there's a blessing of long life that goes with this. He says, but you say, you've come up with a rule that says, whoever says to father and mother, what profits you might have received from me is a gift to God. Some translations say Corban. What was happening was this. The commandment is to honor your father and mother. Honor is something that comes from the heart. You agree with that? Honor is something that comes from the heart. And what they were saying, yes, we're to honor our father and mother, and he's talking in the context of taking care of them, providing for them. But they were saying, but, but this money I have, I've dedicated it to the Lord. I've committed it to the Lord, so I can't use this to take care of my parents. And see, we do things like that today. We, we come up with rules so we can do what we want, instead of just doing what God says, which is a hard issue. So instead of using the money they had to take care of their parents, they were setting it aside. It's for God's purposes. I'm going to give this to God down the road. And look what he says about that. Because what God cares about more than the ritual of what we do is how we care for people. Because what's the second commandment? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that includes your family, by the way, including your in-laws. Don't start throwing things. It's just what the Word of God says. Okay. Now, with that background, because he ends by saying, uh, he says, because of this, you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And here's verse 7. This is what they'll have. This is how he starts. Hypocrites. That's not good. Hypocrites. The word hypocrite in Greek is a word, it's a word from which we, if I recall correctly, from which we get plastic. It's something that looks real, but it's not. It's called bumpers on our cars now. I remember when cars were made of metal. All the parts were made of metal. And now most of them are plastic. But that looks good. It looks like the real thing. But it, now, they, they've come up with a fancy word for things like faux. Which is the French word for false, if I remember correctly. So this word hypocrite means... You try, you try to look on the outside like you're something that you're not really on the inside. So it's not a compliment. Listen carefully. You're hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, something you can hear, and honor me with their lips. They say good things about me. But their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching... Look, look at in, in vain they worship me. So just because we're saying things to God, just because we're singing songs to God, doesn't mean that's what God's hearing. 
I've told you the story before of back when we were living in Oklahoma and we were part of what we call a connect group, a little fellowship group. And they started with their sign of, you know, of worship and praise. And, you know, we had our leader play the guitar and pretty well. And, and, you know, we just gathered in a circle and started singing to God. And there was a woman sitting, standing next to me, not my wife, on the other side. And, and she was just so far off key. And I'm just getting distracted by this. And I'm just, oh, gosh, Lord, this is terrible. Oh, my Lord, this is horrible, God. How can you bear to listen to this? Oh, I should never have said that. And the Lord said, son, what you hear isn't what I hear. I hear her heart trying to worship me and love me. Her heart, this sounds beautiful to me. Now let's talk about what I'm hearing from you. So God doesn't hear the sound musically. He hears the heart that's behind it. Some of the things we're going to begin to do to are, are, that are going to be coming up, we'll talk to you about, are to assist us in worship along that line so that we as a people are worshiping God out of our heart. And you can do that with no instruments and nobody on stage. And sometimes I've seen that done very effectively with somebody that has no talent at all, and I was the one that did it. Because in the old church I had, we had a time when our music director left, just walked out, and I was left with me and my guitar. And I could play some basic chords, but the worship had nothing to do with how wonderful and powerful the sound was. That's great to have. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's got to, what worship is to God is what's coming out of the heart of the people towards Him, out of their heart of love. And it can sound feeble. It can sound off-key. But if it's coming out of the genuine love of our heart for Him, that's worship in God's eyes. And it can sound like the Brooklyn Tubernacle Choir. <laughs> And if it's not coming out of people's hearts, it's, not, it's noise to him. 1 Corinthians 13. If, you, if I hear the sound of, you know, uh, we speak with the sound of angels. But I have not, you have no love. It's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. So it's the heart. It's all about the heart in, from God's perspective. And after all, that's the only one that counts. Okay, let's move on here. So what's he saying here? He's saying, Isaiah saw in his day the same thing I see now. People were outwardly, you walked into a service there, you would say, what a great church. They're singing praises to God. They're making confessions to God. They're glorifying God, but their hearts are far from me. And the, the dangerous thing is we can be in that place and not realize it because we're satisfied with what we see on the outside until you've tasted what's on the inside, and then you're never again satisfied with what's just coming from the outside. All right, everybody following me along? Now look, he goes on to explain this. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man. We're talking about spiritually. But what comes out of the mouth that defiles the man. They were all hung up in what you couldn't eat, could eat and couldn't eat and how you had to eat it, how you had to wash the plates, how you had to wash the cups. They were focused so much on, how, on, on the physical, natural things they did. He's saying, don't you understand, what you put into your body has no spiritual value. 
But it's what comes out of the man that defiles him. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. Getting quieter. But see, we're going through this because I believe with all my heart, and we sang this, I was so thrilled. We sang this as the last song about our heart. It's a heart towards God. I believe that Neil Allen wrote that song. And it's about, I worship you. But, this, but in there, it's, Lord, create in me a clean heart. That's right out of, I think it's Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. And, and it's time to do a heart check. I went for my physical in January. And one of the first things he does is lay me out and hook wires up to me. And, 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 and you know, I've had a cardiologist clear my heart. And I have no, no, no plaque in my veins. But he says, no, but it's part of the routine. We, we check your heart here. Well, that's what we do here. Except we don't hook leads up to your ATKG. The, the, the connection's right here. It's the Word of God spoken to us. And how do you receive that Word? And so, so Jesus is talking about here again. He says, it's not what you eat that defiles a man. That's a spiritual condition. It's, it's what comes out of a man. It's what's coming out of his mouth because that's what's in his heart. Okay. He said, don't you... He said, then his disciples came to him and said, do you know... I love this. Don't you understand? You offended. The Pharisees were offended when they heard this. And Jesus said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I better go apologize because I didn't come to offend anybody. I came to speak peace and love and that's why I come with a lamb over my shoulders and I am so gentle. If most people understood what the Bible says Jesus was like, He's not mamby-pamby. He's not Casper milk toast. See, the love of God is not weak. The love of God does not tolerate certain things because it loves us. Love will tell the truth. In Ephesians 4, it talks about around verse 14 or 15, it says, the way the church grows, that's us, right? Is we speak the truth in love. If you speak the truth alone, it says, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 4, the letter of this law kills, it hurts, it cuts us up. But if it's spoken in love, it builds us up. Love spoken without the truth, which is where the tendency is today. A generation ago, the tendency was to speak the truth without the love. It was called holiness. Holiness is biblical, but the, there was a movement where you were judged by how you wore your hair, how you wore your tie, you know, and God's not so caught up in those things. It's the things of the heart. And so I lost my train of thought. Where, did I, where was I? Where did the train go? <laughs> what? A generation ago. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. generation ago. And now we're in, in, on the other side. We're in the emphasizing the love of God, but without the truth. And that love allows anything to happen. It's known as sloppy agape. <laughs> it just lets anything happen. Well, God's love, God's full of grace. So because God loves us and God's full of grace, He loves me and, and I can get forgiveness for whatever I do. Yes, you can get forgiveness for whatever you do, but you can also presume on the grace of God. And what we're looking at today is everything comes out of the relationship with Him, the heart relationship with Him. 
And the church gets off track whenever it gets away from motivated by my relationship with him and tries to figure out the right thing to do without the relationship. And that's really what we're talking about today. So Jesus offended people. Made no bones. Look what he says. He answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will, I will, will be uprooted. Let them alone, the Pharisees. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leave the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And yet they looked like they were the leaders, but they were spiritually blind, and the people that followed them were equally blind. We don't have time to get into it, but Isaiah talks about this. He says, they have eyes to see, but they don't see. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. They have ears to hear, but they don't hear. Not because they can't, because he goes on to say, because they've hardened their hearts. They've hardened their what? It's all about the heart. When Jesus rebukes his disciples, he rebukes them because of the hardness of their now, what's hum- a heart that's hard is not easily penetrated. A heart that's hard is not sensitive to what changes make. It's not sensitive to people around them. Not therefore not sensitive to God, and therefore not sensitive to His Spirit. I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready, remembering back, and I've shared the, my testimony with you a number of times. I'm not going to go through all of it right now, but uh, my heart was hard. And, and we'd been married 10 years, had two children at this point. My heart was hard. I was nice on the outside, at least I think I was. I, it was nice. I was. That's part of what made it hard for me because I didn't think I was a sinner because I was a good person. You know, paid our taxes, didn't cheat on my wife, loved my kids, put them, put them my family ahead of my, of my career as a lawyer. And I thought I was really good because I did that. Went to church. I served as a deacon in the church. So I was a good person. And yet... Somewhere along the line, and I've told the story about having a disagreement with my wife, let's put it this way, that got heated on my side, and I stormed out of the house one night in the middle of a snowstorm, one of those snowstorms where nobody's driving, nobody's moving, and it's cold like today, except it was, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I stormed out of that house, and I was fuming, I was mad, and, and you know, since I was mad, I didn't notice it was cold, but after a while, I started cooling down, and began to realize where I was and how cold it was and how still it was and how alone I was out there. And then the starting, startling revelation hit me. I was colder and more alone on the inside than it was on the outside. And that shook me. Not long after that, we had a, Christmas came and my wife was preparing for the kids. And so she was home in, in our church. Again, I was a deacon. We had a a, a, a candlelight service. And this was a beautiful old stone church. And nice people in there, but I don't know that any of them knew the Lord. If they did, they did a good job of hiding it. And, and I know the pastor didn't. And I came in, I was late. So I came and sat on the back row, back pew. And it was candlelight. There was candles all the way down the, the aisle. And it was a beautiful music, music praying. And I'm sitting there. Again, I'm still hard inside. I'm sitting there and I start crying. And I never cried. I don't know why I'm crying. It's not like I'm thinking of something. I'm just starting to cry. And it's like tears are welling up in me. And that's okay, because I can control it. Because I'm in control. And, and it starts welling up more and more. And pretty soon, I'm starting to lose it. And this is scaring me. My mind's like, what's going on? And I'm now at a point where I'm going to burst out. 
crying out. So I've got to leave. So I run out the back door, get in my car, was able to get home, wasn't far away, burst in the door, and I just fell apart in front of her. I don't know if you remember that, but I just fell apart in front of her. I have no idea. My mind's saying, are you crazy? What's going on? What was it? It was the Spirit of God beginning to break down the hardness of my heart. In Ezekiel, I think it's 36, God prophesies through Ezekiel about what's going to happen in the church for our day. He's going to talk about what it means to be born again. He says, I'm going to reach in you and I'm going to take out a heart of stone. What's this heart? What's stone? It's hard, isn't it? Nothing can pen- It does no feeling. Whatever's going on around that stone. We have rocks around here that have been here hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Storms have come. Snow has come. Wars have come. All kinds of things have come. And those stones are still there unmoved. Unchanged. By what's going on around them. Because they're hard. They're impervious. He said, I'll take a heart of stone out of you and I will put in a heart of flesh. What does that imply? Sensitive tender, all the things that your flesh can feel and be sensitive to, a heart that's sensitive and that's open, I'm going to change your heart, and then I will give you my spirit. And he goes on. And so this is what Jesus is addressing here. And so, so in, in, when the prophecy where he talks about you have eyes to see what you can't see and ears to hear what you can't hear, because you've hardened your heart, your heart has become dull. You've allowed that to happen, lest you should hear and be healed. I should change you. So what we do is we don't want God messing in our lives because we're afraid of what He might do. And when we resist Him, we begin to build calluses over our heart. I've told you the story of when I worked in a door factory. And my hands were very tender when I went there. I would get a splinter and I'd bleed. But by the time I finished that summer handling those plywood sheets, you could stick needles in my hand. I could feel nothing. If I went to stroke my wife's face, I couldn't feel her. Why? Because I had developed calluses over my hands to become unfeeling. And our hearts can get like that through disappointments and hurts. It's not the disappointment or the hurt. It's what you do with them. If you take that, every disappointment, every hurt, every offense, everything that's ever been done to you or against you, you have a choice of how you're going to handle that. You're not a victim. It's what you, if you choose to be a victim, you will be. But you can be a victor instead of a victim. If you take that hurt, if you take that offense... And instead of running away, you run to God with it. If you've messed up, as we all have done, run to God with it, not away from God, then what you're doing is you're bringing your heart to Him and talking to Him about it. The biggest thing I've learned in this last year is whatever's going on, to talk to Him about it. If I'm afraid, talk to Him about it. If I'm afraid of talking to Him, talk to Him about the fact I'm afraid of talking. Don't run away from Him. Run to Him with your heart. And at first, it doesn't seem to work. It may not seem to work. Just keep coming. Be determined. Be determined. We're going to look at some scriptures. We won't get there today. Look at some scriptures that will encourage you about that. Then Peter, verse 15, answered and said to him, Please explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not understand that what enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed from the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. 
For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornications, thefts, false witnessing, blaspheming. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Matthew 5, 8, we're not going to turn there. Jesus is talking about the great Beatitudes. Blessed are those that are mourned. Verse 8 says, blessed, are, blessed is the man with a pure heart. Blessed is the one with a pure heart, for they shall see God. He didn't say perfect heart. He said pure heart. Pure means com- committed to giving itself to Him. Loving Him first. Loving Him First, let's go look at, um, at um, I'm going to switch these around. Let's go to John 14. And then we'll go back to go to James. John 14, part of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. Everybody okay? Yeah. Ah, just bear with me. We're going to get there. Powerful verses in here about prayer and asking things. Amazing statements. I mean, right before this, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it that the Father may be glorified. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So that's pretty wide open. It is, isn't it? And he doesn't limit it. But look at verse 15. Go back to 14. This 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 is his side. If you ask me anything in my name, now think of it in terms of relationship. He's saying... We're in a relationship. You're my, you're, my, you're my brothers in Christ. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Anything. I'll do it. Wow. That, I mean, it's not sinking in, because if that really sinks in, anything. If you ask me anything in my name, I, now that word ask doesn't mean casually say, Jesus, I'd like this. It means from the heart, actually, if you really study it out. But look at verse 15. That's our side. That's his side. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, you'll do whatever I ask. This is what he's saying here. See, take these scriptures and put them in terms of relationship. He's saying, look, if you, because I love you, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it for you. The other side of that is because if you, therefore, if I ask you anything... You'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. I was, in the, I was thinking about here one years ago, preaching on this, and suddenly I saw it. Suddenly I saw it. Sorry, I wasn't over here. I was over here, but it went to over here. I got this image of a young couple dating. And they're sitting over this table. They've had this wonderful meal. He's taken her out. He's courting her. And he looks into her eyes and takes her hands. He says, sweetheart, I love you. I love you with all my heart. He may be 21, 22. And she looks back at him and says, dear, I love you with all my heart. In many cases, they've said the same words, but they've meant something totally different. The young man means by I love you, I want you. I enjoy being with you. I feel excited when I'm around you. I want to be with you all the time. 
I, I feel good when I'm with you. Being with you satisfies the needs that I have and makes me whole. What she means by saying, I love you, is I'm giving myself to you so that there will be no one else once I've given myself to you. I don't care for another man. I don't want another man. I am giving myself for you. So Jesus is saying this. If you love me, and most of what, I, what we've done, most of what we've done is as the young man said, I love you, Jesus. I feel so good. To, and you take care of me. You provide everything I need. I love you. And what Jesus is saying, no, I've committed myself to you. And I've proven it because I've already given my life for you. He's talking about a commitment of relationship. But notice, it comes out of love. Not if you're afraid of me, you'll keep my commandments. But if you love me, you'll keep... It's out of love. Love comes out of, out of the heart. I'm going to look quickly, see if I can find this other verse. I think I know where it is. can't find where it is. Oh, here it is. In Luke 1, verse, verse 74 and 75, this is, Zacharias now has come out uh, of the temple. He, John's been, his son, John's been born. His tongue has been loosed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. In the middle of this prophecy, <clears throat> he says, um, to take an oath which he swore to our father Abraham, verse 74, to grant us that we may be delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we may serve him without fear. Good. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. God's desire is that we serve him, not out of fear, but we serve him in love. And out of love, we'll live in holiness and righteousness. You're looking at me like I had two heads. See, this is where religion and relationship cross. Because what most of us have been taught is, is religion. If I do the right things, if I live the right way, God will love me and I can get into heaven. God did not save you. Now listen carefully. God did not save you so that you could live the right way. God saved you so that He could have you for Himself. He gave His Son in your place, in my place, to pay for our sin so that He could give us His righteousness. Because without the price being paid, He couldn't give us His righteousness. He gave us His righteousness so that we could now become sons and daughters of the living God, so He could have us for Himself in a relationship. And what we've done, because we've taken a relationship and we've tried to do it with our mind, I'm talking about man, religious men, is we've turned a relationship into a religion. Religion is basically relying on what I do to get God's approval instead of trusting in God, what God's done for me. And as a result, I'll live right because I love Him. 
Because I, so this is what's so powerful. When King David sinned and the prophet Nathan came to him and, and challenged him on it, David's first response was, I have sinned against my God. He didn't say, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. What are people going to think of me? He didn't say, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to God's going to kill me or judge me. He said, I've broken my father's heart. David turned his life around because he was known by God as a man after his own heart. King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he also sinned. And there's no evidence that he repented or turned around because what he relied upon was his wisdom, not his heart. Even though he wrote some, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on. But somewhere along the line, his heart, because he, he, his heart, we can't have time to go there, but he violated some of what God said and as a result, his heart went other places other than to his God. And he couldn't, when he, when, he, when he found what he did, he didn't come back. And I believe that when people sin, really mess up, what makes a difference is whether they see what they've done is against God, not, I'm going to get found out, I'm going to be embarrassed. King Saul, when he was confronted with his sin, he was only concerned what the leaders would think of him, not what God thought of him. Are you getting this? It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Now let's go to James chapter 3. I want you to see how God sees us. Now, if our heart's right, we'll begin to do good things because out of the abundance of the heart we speak. Out of your heart you act. If it's not in your heart and you do a good deed, it's not going to have any effect. Okay. James chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 3. Did I say three? I'm in, I made a big mistake. It's four. I'm sorry. I gave them three back there. James 4, verse 3. I'll start reading. You ask and you do not receive. In other words, you pray and don't get answers. Because you ask amiss or off target. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure if you see what I'm saying. Just, oh, I meant to say it at the beginning. Those of you who were here last week, it's not a sin to root for the patriots. I had someone ask me a question about that. That's not what I was saying. I was talking about my heart to guard my heart because I was in a place where I was allowing something in my heart about that sport to take a place that belonged to God. It doesn't mean you can't watch the Patriots. For, for, for me, it was an issue of my heart. Charles Wesley and, James, and, and John Wesley, two great one great song, song, uh, songwriter and the other, their mother was a con- con- amazingly devout Christian. And they said that John, John Wesley said, started the Methodist Church, the Great Revival. He said, what my mother taught me, that sin was anything that I allowed in my heart between God and me. And see, that's what we're talking about. If, if I will allow something else in my heart and God... That means I've given part of my heart to that other thing, and therefore I'm holding some. I'm not loving God with all my heart. And see, the fear is, well, if I love God with all my heart, I won't have any love left for my mother, my wife, my children. Love doesn't work that way. I remember when our oldest son was born. My greatest fear was, oh my gosh, I've got we got and we have another child coming. Not now. We had another child coming, <laughs> and, and I and I said, 
I said, I don't know that I can, I, I don't know that I can love another child as much as I love him. But you know what? It's there. It's there. So it's to love the Lord with all our heart. That's what I was talking about last week. Don't, it's not the patriots. There's nothing wrong with, when you say I love the patriots, it's what you mean by that. Have you given your heart to them? Have you given your heart to them? And we'll talk down the road about how to adjust that. But we need to see what the issue is today. And we need, need to bring this to a close. In, in fact, we're going to bring it to a close now. It's a little early. Because I want to do something. I want to pray right now. Father, what we're talking about this morning is so important to you. And sometimes it's hard to hear these things. Our mind and even our heart can deflect them and and try to avoid them. As I have done many years ago and still have to struggle with sometimes today. But your Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us. He's in us to help us. And I pray for everyone here this morning, Father. I pray for everyone here this morning, Father, that you would help us where you meet us right where we are. I can see this, but I can't put it into words. You, you're looking into every heart right now, very personally, very intimately, even to those that don't feel anything right now. You're still looking in there not to condemn us, not to drive us away, not to judge us, but to draw us to you. Help us. Meet us where every one of us is. Meet each one of us where we are. And and touch us that we may begin to have confidence to open our heart to you. There's some in this room right now, their heart's very open, Lord, and and you want to draw them even closer. There's some in this room that that have tasted this before, but they've they've wandered away and, and, and you want to draw them back. There's some in this room that have never tasted this their hearts are like my heart was years ago and, and you want to help them to open it. Meet each one of us where we are by your precious Holy Spirit. For more than anything, you're longing for our hearts. That we might love you from our hearts and we might receive in our hearts the love that you have for us. <laughs> help us to fall in love with you. This can only be done by your Spirit. Father, we call upon you in the name of Jesus to do this. Amen and amen.